When Jesus gave his discourse on the end times found in Matthew 24, there was one concern he had over everything else. He was concerned that we not be deceived. That was the big concern he had and the one we should have as well. If you think you're in the last days, you should look out for deception. Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a ministry of the International Outreach Church Partnership Evangelism. Go to traincpe.org to learn about how you can help us reach lost people around the world by raising up evangelists in every place. Or go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about our missions fellowship here in Boise, Idaho. Now to God's Word. When Jesus began the Olivet Discourse, he did it with these words, Take heed that you be not deceived. It is the one thing we're to be on guard against in these last days. So let's talk about what gives rise to deception, what it is, and where it's found. How might this deception present itself? Or what might be the cause or the vehicle that would lead us into deception? So let's answer that question first and let's think about the context in which the Lord Jesus is speaking to the disciples and what it is they're going to be experiencing. And the first thing I would say is this, that they could be deceived because as a result of the disruption of their patterns of worship. They could be deceived because of a disruption of their patterns of worship. The Lord Jesus has just told them that the temple that they have held dear as a focal point in the place from which they gather to worship God was going to be taken away and destroyed. Actually, a parallel account of this is found in Mark chapter 13. And in Mark chapter 13, the Lord Jesus tells them that they're going to be thrown out of their synagogues as well. That's the place where they regularly gather together to express their worship of God. Actually, it doesn't say they're going to be thrown out of their synagogues. It says they're going to be beaten in their synagogues. You're going to be thrown out, and if you go back there, they're going to beat you. Their whole pattern of worship is disrupted. The patterns of worship that they had lived under are going to be turned against them, and they're not to be deceived into thinking that as a result, they've lost what is essential to spiritual life. It's not uncommon for us to begin to rest our confidence in the customs of our worship. This is not to say that our customs are wrong. There are many things that we have inherited and traditions that have been passed down to us through the ages that are valuable and they contribute to our worship and our time that we spend together and the way in which we focus ourselves on the Lord Jesus and go before him. But the Lord Jesus is also indicating that it's very possible that those things and those forms and those ways of worshiping can be completely disrupted in times of persecution and difficulty and as meaningful as they might be in our worship they become a problem when we find meaning in them themselves meaning in the tradition of the custom themselves meaning in the fact that we just keep doing the same thing over and over again or we keep coming to the same place meaning in just the place meaning in just the pattern of music that we sing meaning in the way in which we express ourselves in worship it's meaningful it's good but if we find meaning in it in itself and feel like this is what's necessary for us in our spiritual life. Well, there's a problem then because their meaning only comes to us when they point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And even though the mountains be shaken and all of our customs be taken from us and we are driven out from the place where we gather together and we are able to do these wonderful expressions of worship that we have formulated from generation to generation, he hasn't changed. Not to be deceived when you have the disruption of the patterns of your worship. Second thing he says, they could have been deceived through the distractions that were caused by the tumult that was going to be happening in the day in which they lived. 
but they're not to be distracted by earthquakes or famines or social upheaval or political collapse or the multiplication of wars. When they see these things, they're just to conclude that this is the beginning of labor pains. In other words, the Lord Jesus is telling them, don't be sidetracked by these things. I think we should note something here of the Lord's tone and what he says. He doesn't seem to be overly excited regarding the very cataclysmic events that he's declaring. Listen again to how he says it. After he tells them all these terrible things they're going to see, he says, see that you're not troubled. Don't be troubled by this. These things must come to pass. These things have to happen. And it's not the end yet. These are just the beginning of birth pangs. He's not worried by these events that will take place in the last days. He's not fretting one iota about the wars and the earthquakes and the persecutions and the abominations that will rise up in the last days. He's not disturbed by the cataclysmic events that will occur upon the earth and in the heavens on the occasion of his second coming to earth to judge. He mentions all of these as matters of prophetic fact. They're only caution signs that his followers are to learn to read. And when they see these things, the message they're to be declaring to them is, be careful that you be not deceived. We've all driven up through the roads of Idaho, and we've all seen caution signs, a bunch of rocks tumbling down on some yellow sign, a picture of some deer wandering across the road. You're, you're being told to look out. You don't want to run into a rock or a deer. And I've been in places where the caution sign is to watch out for elephants crossing the, the street in different countries. And you don't want to run into an elephant either. And you have to read the sign and know what it's warning you of. When you see all these things, when you see all these things, and you see what looks like, oh, this looks like the last days. It's a warning sign to you. But the message is, be on guard against deception. The events around you are not such a threat to you as the deception that it warns you about. Don't be distracted by these things. Instead, be alerted against deception. Here's another thing. They could have been deceived in an effort to seek to avoid or escape the distresses or trials or tribulations that were before them. The problem with problems is that you focus on the problem and you try to solve it and you give yourself to whatever you can do to advert yourself from the situation before you and there are some things in which there are no quick and easy answers. There are some things that come upon you so universally and so completely that all you can do is endure them. The Lord Jesus is indicating to us to some extent much of what we're going to face in the last days is going to be on that level. Some hardships leave us only with the need to fall upon the will of God and trust in Him. When you're being fed to lions, by the way, you don't deliberate over what part of your body to let them eat upon first. Do I give them my hand or do I give them my feet? You don't argue about which part of the arena to run to to live a little bit longer. You trust yourself to the Lord in a moment like that and that's what they need to focus on. Not solutions, not answers, not ways out, not trying to solve the problems with immediate responses, but just being on guard because in moments like that when you're trying to find quick answers to the dilemmas that you're facing, you become increasingly susceptible to deception. You'll take whatever relief is offered to you in the immediate moment, whether it's of God or not. So be careful. Be careful in the moment. Reading into these dilemmas and seeing these things, be careful that you don't 
somehow try to get yourself out of it. Also, when you have a series of dilemmas hitting you, you might think, oh, what is God doing to me? Why is God doing this to me? And you're filled with a sense of insecurity and someone comes along to promote you with some word that will make you feel good about yourself for a second and you'll latch on to it. Well, no, you're just a trust in God. You're to rest in God. Your attitude in the midst of these things is to recognize that God is sovereign. You're not just to be seeking solutions, but you're to be resting in his sovereign way among the world. You maybe should have the attitude that Habakkuk has. If you can, go to Habakkuk. And let's read the last words of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is describing a great onslaught of the enemy that's come against his nation God using an unrighteous people to judge the people of Israel, and Habakkuk is confused, and God is not relenting in the distresses that they're facing. But at the very end of Habakkuk's complaint and concern, he comes to a conclusion that is right and good. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And by the way, this is the attitude that keeps you from being deceived keeps you from coming up with quick answers to solve the problems and distresses in your life. Habakkuk chapter three, verses 17 through 19. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, though the supply chain be disrupted, Yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. I'm going to trust in him. In the middle of the day, I'm going to trust him. This is an attitude of rest and trust that keeps you from deception, but the opposite, just trying to solve the problem, trying to meet it, trying to avert it, trying to avoid it. That can lead you into answers that are deceptive. Here's another question for you. This one we can answer, I think, quite quickly. What is deception? The Lord Jesus is warning against deception. What is deception? And I would say to you this, that deception is a truth or a good distorted to make an attractive untruth or evil. It's a truth or a good that is distorted to make an attractive untruth or evil. Basically, deception is a distortion of reality. It does not need to be a major deviation from the truth. In fact, it is most deceptive when it's a small divergence by degrees from God's truth. You divert from God's truth just by degree, and you can lead a person in a very short time miles and miles away from God's truth. And so Satan uses twisted truths to weave his lies and his deceptions. Evil is not the opposite of good. Evil is the deformity of good. You can always find a little good in what is evil. This is what makes it so deceptive, so subtle. So here's another question. Where is deception found? If that's what deception is, where is it found? And let me just suggest to you that it's usually found lying near to the truth. It's usually found flying near to, it's not the truth, it's not in the truth, but it's, it's right alongside of it. So you have to be on guard, and you have to be discerning, and you have to be knowledgeable of God's truth. Here's along those lines, 
If it's found near the truth, we could also say something like this, that deception usually is something that rises up from within and not from without. Deception is usually something that rises up from within and not from without. The false teachers that came upon the early church, threatened to undo it, rose up within the ranks of the early church, not from without it. They came with their false teaching, bringing about maybe the contemporary wisdom of their age, but they brought it to the church from within it. The Gnostics that read about, the Libertines are names that are given to them, Nicolaitans, Judaizers, it's not important right now that you know what all their teaching was, just know this, it rose up from within the church. It was their instruction and their words and their ideas that were providing a place and a ground and the point at which deception took place. The application for us might be like this. The teachings of the cults in our day and age should not be our major concern. We're not to be threatened by the literature of the Moonies. I know it might disturb you, you might not like it, but it shouldn't, you shouldn't be threatened by the literature of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the westernized Buddhist that puts his prayer flags all over the place. That's not the thing that should concern you most of all. That's not where we are most endangered. We're not endangered by the new rabid atheism, who's atheist who's writing his emotional books and giving his really infantile arguments. Those are not the individuals that undermine our faith. No, the danger of deception for the most part rises up in the pulpit of evangelical churches. Well, that statement might get me in trouble. Join us in our next broadcast as we continue to consider where deception rises. In the meantime, I want to encourage you to go to Amazon.com and order a new book that I've written called Saving Evangelicals. Saving Evangelicals. There's not a more important time for us to consider the deception of a false assurance of faith. Go to Amazon.com and ask for the book, Saving Evangelicals. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and Church Partnership Evangelism. For more information, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, the Lord bless you.